0: Hello, and welcome to our, at any rate, Emerging Market Focus podcast, a place for us to discuss recent developments and key issues of focus in the Emerging Market Fixed Income Asset class. I'm Johnny Goulden from the Emerging Market Strategy team here at Morgan, and I'm joined by Saad Siddiqui, also from our Emerging Market Strategy team. Saad, thanks for joining.
1: Hi, good to be here.
0: So the last week has seen some marginal weakening in EM fixed income assets as 10-year Uh, treasury yields touched above five percent we're a little bit below that now um, with some marginal weakness across emfx Uh, sovereign and corporate uh, credit spreads in em are a little bit higher as well as local bond yields as well Um, for our own uh, we, we continue with a fairly neutral view across the different parts of em fixed income and and Generally thinking that stabilization in US yields, as we've highlighted, uh, is probably a necessary condition for for any relief against the background of still quite uneven global growth and and terrorists still uh from Middle East escalation. Um and we've also seen a lot of country specific developments in the end, which we will come to as well. But um, Saad, let's maybe turn to local bond yields and obviously this move in U.S. rates that we've been talking about really for the last three months or so as as a key driver uh, leads us to think a lot about the question of are we done yet in terms of valuations and and when we look at local bond yields we're about 66 basis points higher from the lows of July. Uh, The yield on our GBIEM index is getting close to 7% now, and that has now reversed all of the move lower in yields that we saw earlier in the year. So the question really we wanted to pose is whether this is enough, given that actually we haven't moved as much as US yields have. Uh, And this week we outlined a new EM local bond fair value model, which helps answer that question both for top-down Uh, and also with specific countries. So I wanted to ask you about that to start, maybe just to outline why did we need to have a fair value model for EM local bonds? Aren't there a lot of these around anyway? And without trying to lose many listeners in the process, could we maybe just describe a bit about how this model works and why it's better than maybe some
1: of the other approaches? Sure. So valuing EM bonds is a fiendishly difficult task and it's obviously valuing any financial asset is difficult, but having spent the best part of you know, all of my career, mainly trying to value and come up with models to figure out where EM yields should be going, whether they're rich or cheap or and where they'll be going in the future, uh, I think you come across inevitably two roadblocks one is that you'll often find that the relationships between different variables and EM local yields uh, end up being opposite of what you'd expect. right? So you might find that your model tells you that a higher budget deficit means you get a lower bond yield, which is you know, clearly absurd, but because these variables are so noisy, you get these types of nonsensical results. So, faced with these types of nonsensical results, you either need to find various r- rules of thumb or other ways to circumvent it. You might use kind of bigger models where you dump everything into it, uh, which is called a panel data model. And that acts like an econometric straitjacket. So, you get the right type of you know, relationships between EM bond yields and fundamental variables. But the problem is, they They perform really poorly when it comes to forecasting and out of sample. So we needed to find a way around these types of of issues. And we think we've come up with a reasonable middle ground whereby you have models that at least give you sensible looking relationships. So it tells you that a higher deficit does mean a higher uh, bond yield, but it doesn't necessarily sacrifice on flexibility and does reasonably well um out of sample, so that's 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 a long story short of 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 this uh, difficult uh, task of trying to model em local yields
0: great. Well, that was nice and and simple enough. Um, so maybe then let's turn to the practical question of of you know where we started with this. so how would we use that to answer the question of We've had a big sell-off or a reasonable sell-off. I wouldn't say big in EM anyway. Um, are bonds
1: looking cheap after this or, or not? So let's start at the GBI-EM index level. So this is, um, you know, obviously it takes, in you know, all of the countries in the index together. It's a weighted average. And when we try to model uh, at the GBI-EM level, we basically find a story of, um an index that was looking expensive prior to the sell-off, and now it's around fair value. So what we use here are um, you know, forward-looking indicators. So we're looking at consensus expectations of what fundamental variables like inflation and fiscal deficits are going to be uh, one year out into the future. So if you use the consensus variables for that, you find that um, yields are... Six basis points cheap if you use j p. Morgan's own economist forecast, you find it's about you know twenty basis points uh rich take an average of those, you know it's not really statistically deviating from from what's fair value um so that that's where we are at the asset class level. You've basically gone from rich to fair, um, no signs of a big overshooting at the index level,
0: okay, so as you put it. Now about FAIR having been expensive, I guess that doesn't give us much direction overall on the asset class level and fits with our more neutral stance actually as we have at the moment. But what about the country level? Is there much divergence in valuation that we're finding there at the moment?
1: Yeah, I think the country level and regional level differentiation is quite important. And there's a lot more of that taking place uh, when you delve into the into the specifics. Now, one of the issues with the GBIEM index is that over time, the weight of Asia has gone up quite a lot in the index and it's going to go up even further with the future inclusion of India. And Asia, we know, has lower vol and lower yield markets, but also more to the point, its monetary policy in Asia has been uh, cyclically in a very different phase than monetary policy in LATAM and in the CMEA region. So when Latin America and CMEA were all hiking rates, Asia was kind of doing nothing. They didn't see the inflation shock. And now that we're seeing um, those other regions begin to cut rates, we're seeing some hikes take place in Asia as well. You know, we we had an Indonesia BSP as well. So um, I think that so when you aggregate that together at the GBIM level, a lot of the underlying divergences, I think, are lost. But when you look under the hood, you find that a lot of those high yielders, bond markets that we already like, South Africa, Poland, for example, uh, Colombia also, these are looking quite cheap. Whereas most of the expensive ones are in Asia, led by China, which right now on our model looks uh, like the, one of the most expensive bond markets right now. Um, Part of that may be genuine expensiveness, um, but part of it might be also maybe there's something structurally taking place in China, which is very difficult to capture uh, in models that are calibrated off the back of history. Um, So when because China's spread versus US treasuries now uh, is so wide, I think inevitably it is going to look uh, expensive on these types of models. Got it.
0: So um, we've been talking a lot about valuation at the longer end of the curve, but what about to round off this discussion, the shorter end of the curve? Have we seen some
1: cheapening there as we have been selling off? So in nominal terms, sure, we have priced out some cuts and um, you know we've got less dovish policy priced in at the short end of yield curves, we've seen that especially in places like Latin America. In Brazil as well, we've seen a pretty decent um, uh, pullback in short end, uh, monetary policy pricing, but if you look at it, if you take a step back and you look at it on the whole, you know you do have quite a few markets where the implied real policy rate is below the U.S. implied real policy rate um, at the end of 2024. So that does give uh, food for thought um in terms of how sustainable is that going to be um it's i guess it's easy to just say well this is priced too low therefore it's not sustainable but the reality is we've had pretty persistent pricing of this nature now take place for some time um especially in asia that's where you have a lot of those big bigger divergences where Asia is now seen to have lower real policy rates and even nominal policy rates than the US uh, over the course of the next uh, year or so. We think eventually that is probably going to weigh on Asian effects, but it's not obvious that this is something that one should be, say, paying rates at the short end, looking for a big and imminent correction because it seems like the market can persist with this type of pricing. Well, let's switch gears now, Johnny, and think about what's been happening on an idiosyncratic level as well. You know, clearly we have a lot of these drivers coming from U.S. rates and you know Middle Eastern uh, geopolitical risks as well. But you know, last week we spoke about elections in Poland and in Ecuador. Uh, we've had new developments this week. You know, we had clearly the Argentina election result. We've had some new developments in Venezuela, some progress on Zambian uh, bond restructuring. Uh, help us uh, navigate all of these, please.
0: Yeah. So, uh, sometimes we discuss the EM high yield group, but this is a group that is the ultra high yield. So spreads, if they mean anything, and these kinds of bonds above two and a half thousand basis points, not that meaningful. We're talking about bonds in the teens and twenties and fifties, two of which are actually in in uh, default. So. Um, let's deal with each. Argentina, uh, obviously, the market's been very focused on the possibility of um, political change. We had the first round of the elections uh, last weekend. Um, Bonds have been marginally weaker in in the uh, uh, hard currency bonds on the back of that. It looks like we have a uh, runoff now between uh, Millet and Massa. Uh, Obviously, that gives some uh, policy uncertainty in the context of what is a very difficult macro backdrop as well. Um, not a big sell-off given bonds are already uh, low in price, but uh, the market has has treated it that way. Uh, in Venezuela, um, this is something we have not discussed for a very long time. There have, And the reason is there have been restrictions on bond trading in place since 2017-18. But last week, there has been some limited political agreement around Next year's elections, and that paved the way for some uh relief uh, from u s sanctions um, for bond markets, this includes um relief on the prohibition of u s persons being able to buy uh, bonds of Venezuela and, and pedavesa and that has been lifted with no seeming review period for that and um so those have you know been brought back to the attention. Uh, of investors many of who still hold them um it's a big debt stock we're talking about about 60 billion uh of of debt from both the government and the state-owned uh oil company um so i think that's something that people are watching although it's you know Really, we're still talking about a set of bonds which are in default and and uh, are going to remain that way for, for a while. Um, finally, in Zambia, maybe the other end uh, is a, a, a set of bonds which look like they are closer to the end of their default process. Uh, there's been a... a uh rise today in prices following some media reports there's been an agreement in principle between the government and the creditor committee. This is nearly a three-year default process, uh but investors are watching closely because Zambia is one of the was one of the early common framework test cases for, for restructure. Remember the process which the G20 has um been promoting for debt restructurings. Um, for lower income countries. And so people are watching how that will work out here. Uh, And also what kind of the details of the kind of relief, which will be acceptable, both the official sector uh, creditors and also to the IMF. And that may have implications for other bonds, which are going through restructuring some particular people will be watching for some of the innovations in, in debt instruments in this restructuring as well. So that brings us to the end of this JP Morgan, at any rate, Emerging Markets Focus podcast. Thanks to you, Saad, for joining today. And thank you all for listening. And we hope to have you back again with us for the next one. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan research reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023, JP Morgan Chasing Company, All Rights Reserved. This episode was recorded on the 26th of October, 2023.